I want to start a little bit differently today. I'm going to read out of Revelation chapter 7. You don't have to turn there. Verse 9, okay? Uh, one of the things I think sometimes we forget is how all of this ends. You know what I mean? Like, this life is just temporary. <laughs> the marriage you have is just temporary. Uh, there's going to be a day that's much better than anything that you and I experience here on this earth. Now, I want to remind you this morning of really how all of this ends. It says this in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. It says, After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, all nations, all tribes, all languages, speaking with one voice, and this is what they're saying. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Can you put your hands together and celebrate that salvation belongs to the Lord our God this morning? You know, one thing that you and I have to realize is that God is doing big things all over the world. God is doing tremendously big things all over over the world. He's doing big things right here in Henry County, and he's doing things that are great and enormous and big across the globe. This past week, I was talking to a friend, and I want to tell you a quick story about what he had shared with me. Um, he was telling me uh, that he formerly lived in India. He has now moved back to the States. He lived in India, and while he was there, um, he lived in this specific region where it was part of their culture to have what's called a house uh, a house helper, okay? A house helper to them is kind of like a nanny to us. You know, what a house helper does is everybody in the house works in their culture over there in India, and because everyone would work, um, what they would do is they'd have someone who would come in about three days a week, and that person's job was to kind of manage the home, take care of the kids, their homework, maybe cook a meal, do some chores around the house. So they hired help that comes in, and they would kind of keep things in the house going and managing and, um, and that was what a house helper was. So when they moved over there, they were trying to reach this particular group of people, and they felt like, you know, part of this culture has, a, or this culture has house helpers. We need to have one as well so that we can kind of relate and, and better relate to our culture. So they had this house helper, okay? And they started developing a relationship with this house helper, and they got to know her on a, on a deeper level. And as they got to know her, they learned that for almost a decade, well over seven years, almost a decade, this lady um, was barren. She could not have kids. Now, she was born and she was raised Hindu, like all people over in India uh, primarily are. Um, so she was, she was raised this way. She was um, part of this culture and not only that, but she's now barren for over seven plus years, almost a decade. And this friend was telling me that, you know, that whole purpose of them being over there is they're missionaries and they're wanting to take the gospel to people who haven't heard. So they found this opportunity to say, you know what, we want to talk to you about Jesus, well, that wasn't received very well. So what they decided to do is they said, could, could you, would you allow us to pray to our God over your life for, for however long it takes, asking God to help you have child? And the lady was like, well, I've tried everything else. Sure. If you want to pray to your God and ask him to help me get pregnant, then, then I invite you to do that. And my friend was telling me, you know, we prayed for over two months, asking God every single day, Lord, would you allow her? And the God, you know, the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, would you allow her uh, to, to experience what it's like to bear a child? And, um, and two months after starting to pray this, they were telling me that she came through the doors with a lot of joy in her heart and her life. You could just see it as she walked through their doors. And she told them, she said, you know what? 
I'm pregnant. I am pregnant, and I know it's because of your God that I'm pregnant. So it's a cool story, but it's not done yet. It's not done yet. So she, she comes to faith in Christ uh, as a result of this, God miraculously doing this work in her life. She comes to faith in Christ, and my friend was telling me it wasn't even that that stopped it. it was the, the next thing is her husband comes to us, and her husband says these very words. He says, we know it was your God who put these babies in, our, in the womb. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Not only did God give her one baby, but God now gave her two. So she's having twins. And this is what the God of Jacob did for her. God's doing big things all over the world. I had another friend I was talking to this week uh, who had just returned from the same part of the world. He went on a quick trip over there, and he was telling me that part of their trip was that they wanted to go to different villages who had not heard about Jesus Christ. That was their whole goal. So there's several villages. A village is about 5,000 people or less, and they're just a community of people. That's all it is, okay? So they're going into these villages, namely villages that do not have one born-again believer, as you and I would know, a Christian, in those villages. And they're identifying these villages, and they're going in, and they're trying to find someone they can share the gospel with uh, to create what's called a person of peace. Uh, but the, their, their philosophy for doing this is that when they would go into this village, the first person that they would go to is a village leader. Now, the village leader is kind of like the mayor, okay? So the village leader, if he speaks, people listen, and he kind of gets his way. Um, that's kind of how it works over there. Um, so anyway, so they go to the village leader, and they, this one specific village leader, and they're talking to him. And they tell him, hey, we want to start, uh, we want to talk to you about the God of Jacob. We want to talk to you about our God. Um, he, too, obviously is Hindu. Um, so they're having this conversation. He says, how about this? I'll make a deal with you. You see that lady over there? He points across the street, and they say, yeah, we see that lady. That lady has never heard a sound in her life. She's deaf. If your God will give her the ability to hear sound, I'll listen to your message. And the group was like, I don't know what to do. Um, all we know to do is to go pray and ask God to give this lady the ability to hear. So they started to pray over her. And honestly, they said they left the village that night kind of defeated because nothing happened. They came back the next day, and the lady could hear. And all of a sudden, the village leader said, we want to hear your message. We want to hear your message. Listen, my friend told me that not only did the village leader, but the entire village heard the message, and every single person accounted for in the village placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior. God is doing big things all over the world. Today, we're going to be looking at the first miracle that's done by the early church in the book of Acts. This is a miracle of healing. We're going to be in this miracle in Acts chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 3. We've been walking through the book of Acts, and we've been in this series that we've called You Are Sent. Okay, And the reason we've called it You Are Sent is because we defined the church early in the first sermon through this series that the church was not just a building of brick and mortar that you and I come to on a Sunday morning for a gathering or for an experience or for an event. Like That was not the intended purpose of the church. The church is more about being a people. It's a movement of God. <coughs> a people who are on mission together. That's what the church is. Okay, so here we have this church. It's a mission a people of God, a movement of God, on mission together, their objective is to go and tell the world of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And you right remember, Acts chapter 1 told us that you can't do the work apart from the Spirit of God. 
So he says, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. We learned that at the end of Luke chapter 24. And then in Acts, the Spirit of God comes down, and the Spirit of God empowers them for this mission. So I told you, don't do the work of God apart from the Spirit of God moving first. And that's exactly what's happening here in the book of Acts. You're going to have to bear with me today. You can already tell my voice is like scratching. <coughs> okay, so here's, here's where we are in the book of Acts. I realize our topic, though, today, since we're talking about miracles, is actually one that's probably going to be a little bit uncomfortable to some of you. Um, when we talk about miracles, if I'm honest with you, it's like wet cement for me. My life is still being formed and shaped by what the Word of God says regarding miracles, especially the miracle of healing. So we're going to be talking about that today, but when you walk through the book of Acts, there's 28 chapters in this book. There are 40 miracles that occur in those 28 chapters. So it would be, it would be remiss of me uh, to, re, re, to, to just deny the fact that miracles actually do occur in this book. So I have to at least pay attention to that and dig into the depths of what they actually uh, are there to do. Okay, so this is what miracles, I believe, are to do. And I want to make sure I state this very clearly. It'll be on your screen for you this morning. Here it is. Miracles display the power of God for the purpose of verifying and advancing the message of God. Okay? Miracles, they display the power of God for the purpose of verifying and advancing the message of God. That is ultimately the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we're going to do this morning is I'm going to walk through Acts chapter 3. We're going to read it together. There's about 11 verses that we're going to read through. And then I'm going to make a couple of points about those 11 verses. And then I'm going to answer some common questions regarding miracles in today's age. Okay, that's where we're headed this morning. So we're going to read together in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Okay, it's 3 p.m. A lot of people debate why they were going to the temple at 3 p.m. The reason I believe they're going to the temple at 3 p.m. is because it was at 3 p.m. when Jesus was on the cross, he hung his head and said, it is finished. And I believe they go to the temple to pray, not just because of some, some you know, sacrifice that they had made. They go now to the temple to pray to remember the events of the cross of Jesus Christ. So here they are at the temple, 3 p.m., and it says, and a lame, uh, and a man lame from birth, that means he can't walk, okay, he's immobile, um, he does not have the ability to walk. He was being carried, and by the way, I specify that because I know that the first time some of you women, when you hear the word lame man, you're thinking, I have one of those, all right? That's not what he's talking about here. He, he just can't walk. So he's being carried, whom they laid daily, okay, this is a daily endeavor that they're walking through. He laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms for those who are entering the temple. So this guy, he can't move. He hasn't been able to move since the, be able to move since the day that he was born. Uh, what he does, he gets up in the morning, he has a group of friends, they come and they carry him all the way to the temple gate, the gate called beautiful, and he sits there and all he does all day long is he asks for money. Okay, he's a beggar. He's asking people to give him alms. And it says in verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And he's doing what he's supposed to do. This is what he did every day. He's asking for money from Peter and John. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And this is what I love. He says, and he said, look at us. So Peter says, okay, this guy, he's asking me for money, but he won't even make eye contact with me. So Peter stops in his tracks and he says, look at me. Look at us. We have a message we want to say to you. 
and pay attention to this message. <coughs> and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. You know what I love about this? It's here you got this guy who doesn't know Jesus, who is expecting this guy. He's expecting, I was expecting my wife to bring me a throat roster. And great things happen to people who expect things to happen. And then, not only that, but she brings me one that I can't even get the paper off because it's from like 1988. But I have one in my pocket. And see, this is how you know if a throat lozenger is fresh. See how it just peels right off the paper? Anyway, that smelt like mother-in-law. It didn't come from you. It came from her. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> so this guy has an expectation, and that expectation is that what he needs is going to be met. Okay, I love that. Now, pay attention to this. Verse 6, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Can somebody say, praising God? And all the people saw him walking in. Ah, oh, man, y'all did terrible on that. We got to do that again. And all the people saw him walking in. Yeah. And recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon. So this is the miracle that occurs that day. This lame man from birth receives the ability to walk because of Peter and John saying these very words. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. There's two simple things I want to say about this specific miracle. Actually, there's three. We're not going to have the time to get into the third, so I'm going to give you two of them today. And, uh, and then I want to answer some questions in regards to this text, okay? First one I want you to, say, to notice about this text is this. God can move in a big way in routine situations. God can move in a big way in very routine situations. When you walk through this text, I heard it as some of you gasped or some of you understood what I was reading. I heard it. You recognize that this story is beautiful, and it is beautiful. It is a miracle. It is a miraculous story. Here this guy is. He's lame from birth. Luke goes completely out of his way to make sure that we know that he's lame from birth. Why do you think he did that? He did that because he wants us to know that he had the inability to walk since the day that he was born. That this was a permanent reality in his life. It was a lifelong thing that he had to deal with. Why does Luke think that's important? He doesn't want you and I, because we do this, don't we, church? He doesn't want you and I to think, oh, this guy, he's now able to walk. He just had a twisted ankle. He was on the ski slopes and he fell down. Like, it, that's what we do. We try to brush it off as something less than what it was. Uh, this guy was trying to do a backhand spring, broke his leg, now it's healed, and all of a sudden, you know, he's been waiting for endorphins to kick in so that he can, you know, all that stuff. No, Luke says, no, this dude could not walk since the day that he was born. He's lame from birth. And every day, he would go through the same routine. He'd go through the same motions. He would wake up, someone would carry him to the temple, and he would start to beg. 
He would beg so that he could get a little bit of money, so that he could buy a little bit of stuff, and then he could go to sleep for a little bit to wake up and do the whole thing over again the next day. Routine situation. But you know, this is not Peter's first time seeing this guy. It's not John's first time seeing this guy. The script, the, the text tells us that they, they went to the temple daily, that this guy did this daily. So certainly this wasn't the first two times, that, the first time that these people had seen each other. So what makes this moment different? What makes this moment different? By the way, if you read through the Gospels, you'll learn that even Jesus went to the temple. So certainly maybe even he saw this guy at some point. But what makes this different? Why all of a sudden are Peter and John interested in this guy and they weren't the day before? Because they have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God now is upon them. The Spirit of God now is dwelling within them. And all of a sudden they know that the things that Jesus was capable of doing, they too now can do themselves. This is the first time that they had seen this guy after the arrival of the Holy Spirit here on the earth. It's a regular day, routine situation. And what does God do with the Spirit? He moves in a really big way. In a really big way. Church, some of you need to hear this this morning. God can move in a big way in your routine job. God can move in a big way in your routine situation. God can move in a big way in your routine marriage. God can move in a big way in your routine workouts or hobbies or family dinner. When you have a regular routine of going to the hair salon, the nail bar, the ball field, or even a hunting club, God can do big things at every single one of those locations. It's not too far beyond him. Listen, God wants to use the routines of your life as an arena for a great move of God. He certainly did that in their life, and he wants to do it in your life as well. You know, we have a Jesus board that we've alluded to several times right out here in the lobby. And those light bulbs on that board represent people who have placed their faith and their trust in Jesus and have walked through the waters of believer's baptism. And on that board, there are many different names, names that you and I have put on that board. People, men, women, boys, girls that we're praying for, that we know don't have a relationship with the Lord. And we're asking God to save them. In essence, we're asking God to do a miracle. We're asking God to work in their lives. We're asking God to awaken their hearts and their souls and to allow them to see that their greatest need is him and him alone. And you know, many of those names that are on that, bo- those, that board, men, women, boys, girls, they're people that you are on the same sport team with. Maybe they share a hobby with you. Maybe they live in your neighborhood. Maybe they work in the cubicle beside you. Maybe they're a clerk that checks you out every week at Starbucks or every day at Starbucks. The regular routines of your life that you go through, you've engaged these people, you've met these people, you've developed a relationship with these people, and God wants to use you to do the same thing that Peter and John did here. He wants you to say, hey, it's time to fix our gaze on one another and have a conversation about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's time for me to share Jesus with you because he is who you ultimately need. God can do a big thing, church family, in your regular routine situations. Do you believe that? 
So my question to you this morning is what regular routine are you walking through where God has placed people in your, in your path that he is calling you to begin sharing the gospel of Jesus with? What routine do you need to give to God this morning? So the first thing I want you to see is that God can move in a big way in routine situations. The second thing I want you to see is our job is not to give people what they want. Our job is to give people what they need. Did you hear that? Our job is not to give people what they want. It's to give people what they need. And I'm not talking about what we do as moms and dads. Okay, all right, Johnny asked for a toy, and I said, no, I want to give you cucumbers over candy, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm going to give you what you need, not what you want. I'm not talking about that philosophy. I'm talking about genuinely something much deeper than that, where we give people what they really do need. You see, when you look at this text, what the lame man wanted was what? Yeah, he wanted silver. He wanted gold. He wanted alms. I mean, this is a guy who's been immobile since birth, lame since birth. And every day he was just asking for money. Why do you reckon he wanted silver? Why do you reckon he wanted gold? Because a lot like us, he thought the gold, the silver, would bring him a better life. More stuff, more happiness, more possession, more things I can do. And I love what Peter does in verse 4. He says, look at us. Make eye contact with me. And it says in verse 5, when the guy fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them, and Peter said, I have no silver and gold. At that point, you can almost hear the gasp in the guy, but like, oh, poo, <laughs> right? Like, well, you have nothing to give me. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter says, I'm not going to give you something that will perish. I'm not going to give you something that will waste away. I'm not going to give you something that you think you need, that you actually just want. I'm going to give you something that will last throughout all eternity, and that is the power of God through salvation in Jesus Christ. Peter said, that's what I'm here to give you. Peter was giving him Jesus. The power of God was received through the person of God through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. So my question is very simple this morning. Who is it in your life that you pass by on a, a daily basis and the Lord is saying to you, it is time. It's time for you to fix your attention on them and offer to them the power of God through salvation in Jesus Christ. See, Peter was interested in giving this guy, he wasn't interested in giving this guy an easier day. He could have done that very easily and just threw a coin in the bucket and carried on his way. No, Peter was interested in giving this guy eternal life because he knew that that's ultimately what this guy needed. And again, I bring you back to that Jesus board. Do you recognize that those people that you're praying for, they too have probably lots of wants, and God's going to work in their lives in ways that, that I can't even imagine or explain. And they might come to you and say, hey, you know, one of my siblings or whatever the case may be has a sickness. And immediately you have to think, you know what, the greatest need that they have right now is Jesus so they can grieve as one who's, you know, who has hope. Not, not, not anything else. The greatest need they need right now is Jesus. And are you willing, are you ready to tell them about Jesus when they ask? Or even when they don't ask. Because this guy wasn't asking, per se. And I love how he responds. It says in verse 8, he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This man is giving praise where praise is due. 
And that's back to the Father. The third thing that we aren't going to address this morning is we can't miss God's work when we're comfortable. The Sadducees made a habit of this. And what I mean by that is they kind of made a, a, an alliance with the Roman government. And because of that alliance, they were comfortable in, in the, the lives that they live. And what happens when we get comfortable is that God kind of draws back on working. He wants to keep us not comfortable so that he can continue to work. And we'll talk about that later um, in, later down, down the road in this series. What I want to do right now is I want to talk about a few things. When we talk about miracles and healings, a few questions that we typically have. So when we look at this text, we see a miracle actually transpire. Holy Spirit has come. Peter and John pay attention to this guy. They perform a miracle right there. They do it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's important. It's important because when Jesus did miracles in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he just said, get up and walk, right? He just said, go do this, and they did it. These people are making sure that they're giving credit where credit's due in the name of Jesus Christ. Go and do this. They don't have the power, per se, in and of themselves. They only have the power because the power of God lives inside of them. That's the difference here, and they're making sure that they know that it's only through Jesus that these things can be done. So when we talk about miracles or healings, there are a few questions we typically run, run into, especially in our own heads. This is me personally. I want to address a few of those today. First one is this. Many of us wonder, does God still do miracles today? That is a common question, believe it or not. It is a common question, and it is deeply theologically debated. Does God still do miracles today? Now, as loaded as this question is, and as many different beliefs that come with this question, I want you to know this morning, I told you this is kind of like wet cement to me. What I'm about to tell you, I'm absolutely confident in, okay? And that is this. The answer to that question is a resounding yes. God still does miracles today. When you walk through scripture, there is nothing definitive that would suggest that healings have ceased. Nothing. In fact, when you walk through scripture, what you'll see is that the Bible uh, gives more and more and more evidence to believe that miracles still do occur, especially even the miracle of healing. First Corinthians, God gave the gift of healing to, for the common good of the church. Now, there, 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 healings do typically happen across the pond more than they do here. I'll admit that. Because Why? Miracles serve what purpose? To display the power of God for what? For verifying and advancing the message of God. So a lot of times, the church is already doing that here. So God doesn't rely on the miracle to do it. In other places where it's Hindu and they don't have access to the gospel and it's not discussed and it's not told to them, he's using miracles to do these things that the church should be doing. And once the church gets started, you start to see that some of that ceases. It just does. That's how things work. But do they exist? Yes. Even the book of James. We're instructed in James to call upon the elders of the church to pray for what? To pray specifically for healing. Now, James wouldn't tell us to do that if we shouldn't do it. We should do those things. Therefore, healing, miracles, they do still occur. That's just the easy answer. Okay. Number two, why does God do miracles? Why does God do miracles? Remember what we said from the beginning. Miracles display the power of God for the purpose of verifying and advancing the message of God. you got to keep that in your head. That's the point of the miracles. This is what miracles do. Well, here's some reasons I believe that God still does heal. First, sometimes God heals as an act of compassion. Did you hear that? Sometimes God heals 
as an act of compassion. God is a loving father, and as a loving father, he's full of love. He's full of grace. He's full of mercy. He's even full of compassion. Jesus was compassionate with the woman who suffered from hemorrhages in Luke chapter 8. He was compassionate toward the challenging woman in Mark chapter 7. Jesus was compassionate toward the blind man, the lame man, beggars, prostitutes, and so many more when you walk through the Gospels. He constantly put his compassion on display. And I believe as an act of sovereign compassion, Jesus sometimes heals. Think about it this way. Sickness and pain and death and disease and all these things that you and I refer to as bad, they exist. Why? They exist because of sin. Man, this is me and you, Lynn. Let's go. Come on. They exist because of sin. You know what sin is? Sin is a mess that we've made. When God created the world in Genesis 1 and 2, he created us in perfect harmony with him, a world without sin. But it was, it was our people. It was, it was our you know, family that went and committed sin. Right? Adam and Eve, they went in the garden and Genesis chapter 3, I almost call it Luke chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and they fall prey to sin. They deliberately rebel against God, and they do what God told them not to do. And as a result of that, death and disease and sickness and all these things are in the world. And you and I, when we encounter these things, what do we think? We think, well, the, the world shouldn't be this way. And in many ways, we're absolutely right. It shouldn't be this way, because it's not the way that God created it. But it's there because of sin, and sin is a mess we made. And guess what God loves to do? God loves to take our mess and turn them into his miracles. Some of you have experienced that. This is why he's such a miraculous God. is because he does a work that you and I are incapable of doing. So sometimes, as an act of his compassion, he does acts of healing because of who he is. The second is God heals as a sign of the coming kingdom of God. God heals as a sign of the coming kingdom of God. Listen, God's healing is not random. His miracles aren't displays. His displays of power don't happen at random. He doesn't casually or arbitrarily decide to do a miracle. In fact, every miracle of God is a miracle with a very specific purpose. You know what that purpose is? It's a reminder that the reign of death and disease is coming to a final redemptive end. Let me say that again. It is a reminder, the miracle, the healing, it's a reminder that the reign of death and disease is coming to a final redemptive end. So when God does a miracle like healing, what he's doing is he's reversing the effects of sin on the world. Things aren't like they were when God created them. We just talked about this. Roman, Romans 8, I think it is, it even says what? That creation is groaning because of the effects of the fall. There's sickness and conflict and disease. And we know it shouldn't be this way because it's not the way God created it. So what Jesus is doing and what the church is doing, I should add, is reversing the effects of sin through the power of God. This is a sign pointing to the new heaven and the new earth that we read about in Revelation 21 where it tells us that God will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more, nor shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. And we long for that day. And this is a sign for us when we see a healing or we participate in a miracle. It's a sign for us that that's the day that we are all longing for, the coming kingdom of God. 
We, the church, are here to point people to the name of Jesus Christ who will reverse the curse of our sin. A third reason I believe that God does healing is sometimes God heals as a witness to non-Christians. I say as a witness to non-Christians, it could be both a warning and an invitation. And what do you mean by that, Trey? Um, I was thinking about Matt and Louisa this week. I called Matt and even shared this with him. I was thinking about them and all the nurses and doctors that they probably encountered. They still encounter on, at, at the aftermath of his healing. And I started to think, you know what, man, I'm, surely there's one or two of those that didn't know Jesus that are asking questions now. And I was reminded that not only that, but Matt has other friends in his life that didn't believe in God or doesn't know God that now they're having conversations with about God, that, hap- that these conversations are happening because of the results of a miracle in his own life. So sometimes God heals as a witness to non-Christians. And then the final reason I believe God heals is sometimes God heals to motivate Christians to worship. Just to motivate us to worship. I mean, God displays his power to lift our eyes off the flatness of our own faith. And it's sad that we need that. But, but we do need that. Often in life as Christians, men and women of faith, our faith does get flat. It does become a little bit monotonous. And God does these things to kind of give us another spark and fans the flame. We get comfortable as Christians. God uses miracles to awaken our hearts and our souls. And we saw this even here in our own church. And there's one final question I believe we often ask. Does God still do them? A resounding yes. Why does he do them? We just gave you four reasons I believe he does. And the final question is this, will everyone who prays in faith receive healing? Will everyone who prays in faith receive healing? The answer to that question, I believe, is yes and no. Yes and no. Let me explain. Some will be healed immediately. Some will be healed immediately. There's times when God brings healing immediately as an overflow of his compassion upon people in need. He just does it. Immediately. Now, when I say immediately, I'm not talking about instantaneously. I told you at the very beginning, they prayed over this person to receive sound. They didn't, nothing happened instantly. But in the span of 24 hours, something did. The second thing with the village. It didn't happen instantly, but over the, or, or the, the pregnancy. Over the span of... Um, Two or three months, it did. I think about my own relationship and my own life with, with my dad. We prayed for my dad for almost seven years before the Lord intervened and miraculously saved him. So you have this time frame, but it is immediately because it's here while we're present, while we have time. So some will be healed immediately. Second, some will be healed eventually. There's time when God has a bigger purpose or plan than healing. And that doesn't make sense to us all the time. I understand that, especially if you've walked through a situation where someone wasn't healed and you cried out for it in faith. What I mean by this is though, through our suffering and pain and sickness, we grow to know Jesus more. Or maybe our suffering is being used to bring someone else to him in faith. Listen, I want to say it this way. Sometimes God glorifies himself when sick people get well. And sometimes God glorifies himself when sick people die well. But in both situations, God is seeking glory for himself. 
And there's something we all must understand. There is coming a day when God will indeed restore all things. We started off this way. I wanted you to see how it would all end. When the end comes, the dead in Christ are going to rise. When the end comes, there will be no more sickness and no more death and no more disease and no more pain and no more mourning and no more tears. That's what we're told in Scripture. And this leads me really to my final thought. Yes, some will be healed immediately. And yes, some will be healed eventually. But all who know Jesus will be healed ultimately. They'll be healed ultimately because of the coming kingdom of God. Listen, the most important thing we need to understand when it comes to miracles and healing is this. God is still all about one thing. And that is seeking and saving those who are lost. That's what God is about. And it's a, it's a pity that you and I would make life about anything less than what it's about to God. And that is seeking and saving the lost. Listen, he is not afraid of using miracles to seek and save the lost. He's not afraid of putting his glory on display in a way that he chooses. And it might not always make sense to us, but like John Wesley said, how much you believe the gospel is measured by your ability to be joyful in all things, no matter what situation you're walking through. You know, when we talk about miracles and healings, the first thing some of us think through is the things we have seen on TV, and I just want to warn you of this, and I want to say this very compassionately. Jesus wasn't into drama surrounding healing like it is today. He just wasn't into that. He didn't hype healing up. He didn't want people to miss the forest of the gospel so that they could see the trees of miracle. He wanted people to see the gospel, and that's all he wanted them to walk away with, was to know the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and all he has done for them. Back in January, we introduced a new partnership that we were entering as a part of our planting 300 churches in the next 30 years, a partnership specifically in a region of the world known as South Asia. And this week, again, I had a conversation with one of our partners on the ground there who wrote an email, and I want to read this email to you because it was so suitable for today. It says, Nisha came to faith during her Christian middle school. As a 12-year-old, she was physically abused by her father for not participating in temple worship. She was such a brave young girl with such strong faith convictions that she would not even eat sweets that were offered in idol worship. She prayed for God to intervene in her parents' lives, but they were such strong, high-caste Hindus that she was skeptical that they would ever come to faith. Then her father got sick. He had abdominal pain and remained undiagnosed despite many doctor visits and thousands of time with Hindu priests. After months of suffering and increasing pain and dysfunction, the Nisha's father knew that this illness was going to kill him. Reluctantly, he asked his daughter for prayer. They prayed, listen, in the name of Jesus Christ for healing before sleeping that night, and the next morning he woke up with no pain. This problem that was killing him slowly was healed completely, never to return. The man immediately cast away his worthless idols and started to follow Jesus. It was a beautiful picture of God using healing to open the door for the good news of Jesus, having the authority to forgive all of our sins. And what I love, church, is that you're a part of that. Your contributions and your generosity that you give so benevolently 
they go to be a part of ministries like this all over the world where God is doing a work. And God is doing a big work all over the world. But listen, I also believe that God wants to do a big work right here among us. And the reason we have a prayer team every single week is because these people are here to intercede in your place. Sometimes you're carrying a weight, a burden that's too big for you to bear. And you need someone to pray for you and over you. And that's why we have a prayer team. So at the end of our service today, prayer team's going to be up here. We want you to take advantage of that. I mentioned my father a moment ago, how we prayed almost for seven years for him to come to know Jesus. You know, a thing that I did, or my sister and I did in our walks with God that we feel like contributed maybe a, a small bit to, to, to his salvation. We didn't contribute any to his salvation, but you know what I mean, to the prayers of the righteous, because I was very righteous. Um, it's a joke, bad joke, and bad timing. Um, but here's what we did. It's all we knew to do. And that was pray. Every Sunday, we had an altar. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, we were at the altar and we are praying and asking God to do what we couldn't do. And we saw glimpses of hope, and we would continue to pray, and we prayed. And when I said we prayed, we prayed like you would hear our prayers as we were praying them because we wanted God to move. And I'm wondering if there's someone that God's laid on your heart that you so want them to see Jesus, that you're willing to make the same kind of commitment. Every opportunity I get, I don't know what it means, but I'm going to go forward, and I'm going to get on my face before God, And I'm going to beg and cry out for him to do what I can't. For him to save my sibling, my child, my parent, my cousin, my extended family member, my friend, my coworker, whoever it may be. But I do hope and I do pray that we'll be a church that prays fervently and expects extravagantly for God to not only hear our prayers, but to begin answering them so that he can get more and more glory from more and more worshipers being made.